Chapter 34B of Organic Evolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Francis Wicks. Organic Evolution by Richard Swan Lull. Part 3 The Evidences of Evolution. Section 3 Paleontology. Chapter 34B Proboscideans. Brain. As we have already seen, the brain is of an old-fashioned sort in that the forebrain does not cover the hindbrain. On the other hand, its specializations lie in its great size, which actually twice exceeds that of man and is second only to the size of the brain of the great whales. In addition to its volume, the elephant brain is noted for its convolutions, but this is in part an adaptation to size, for the bulk of an object increases with the cube of its diameter, while the surface enlarges with the square. The one, therefore, outruns the other, and, if they are to bear a definite ratio to each other, the surface must be increased by infolding. Bedard speaks of the proboscidean brain as a great specialization of a low type. The intelligence of the elephant has been exaggerated by some writers and greatly minimized by others. Elephants possess a remarkable memory of injuries, real or fancied, of misfortunes, of friend and foe and of the time and place of the ripening of favorite fruits as many a planter knows to his cost they also learn to perform complex labors such as the carrying and piling of logs in the teak yards of india without direction other than the initial order they are obedient and docile notably those of india and this seems the more remarkable when it is remembered that they are not domestic animals in the sense of being the product of generations of selective breeding but that practically everyone is caught wild and subsequently tamed, so that these qualities of which we speak are inherent in the race. But the docility, especially of the males, is subject to rude interruption by periods of nervous excitement, apparently of a sexual nature, known as must, during which they become very dangerous and sometimes destroy the keepers in their paroxysms of rage. Ultimately, all male elephants become surly and intractable. In the wild state, such are known as rogues and live apart from their kind until they die. The great Asiatic elephant, Gunda, in the New York Zoological Park, when purchased in 1904, was so docile that children rode upon his back. In 1908, he began to show signs of surliness, and the following year made a murderous attack upon his keeper. In 1912, Gunda was put in chains for another savage assault, and in 1913, another keeper had a narrow escape from death. Finally, in 1915, the beast had become so dangerous and so unhappy that in spite of being in every other way a superb specimen, he was condemned to death and executed. His age at the time of his death was about 24 years. The famous Jumbo was sold from the London Zoological Gardens because he was no longer trustworthy from the same cause. He was not, however, a confirmed rogue, even when he died three and a half years later. Jumbo was also 24 years old at the time of his death. There is a certain parallelism between the nature of human mental development and that of the elephant. One of the most potent factors in the evolution of man's mind is his ability to handle various objects and thus bring them before the eyes for examination. This is also true of the elephant, although to a less extent, and undoubtedly has aided materially in its mental development. Elephants have been rightly accused of timidity and cowardice, though when brought to bay, rage may simulate courage, making a charging tusker a most formidable foe. Senses. 
in common with most forest and jungle dwellers with whom opportunity for extended vision is rare elephants are relatively dull of sight though keen of scent and hearing in fact marvelously so for shillings the german explorer tells us that they either have an acuteness of some known sense far beyond our comprehension or some other sense unknown to us the latter however is hardly possible and since the sentinels of the herd stand with uplifted trunk testing the breeze it is probably in the sense of smell that elephants are thus gifted evidences for evolution ontogeny but little is known of the earlier stages of elephant ontogeny owing to the great scarcity of embryonic material the smallest and most immature embryo of which the description has been thus far published was pictured in l'illustration for december twentieth nineteen twelve in this picture the creature whose length was but seventeen centimetres six and five eighths inches is seen astride an ordinary drinking glass tumbler but even at this early stage is essentially elephantine proboscis and all about the only thing noticeable in the picture wherein the specimen departs from the normal elephant is the marked angulation of the limbs and the relatively greater length of the foot below the heel the embryo is that of an african elephant from the congo aside from the gradual increase in tooth complexity with age perhaps the most notable ontogenetic change is the heightening of the skull with the development of the diplo for the cranium of a newborn elephant is like that of other mammals a comparatively thin-walled brain case the cavity of which increases but little in size with the growth of the skull as a whole as the figure shows phylogeny size the phylogenetic changes on the other hand are amply recorded by the remarkably extensive series of fossil proboscidea which have come to light if merithereum see page five ninety three is to be considered a proboscidean in the direct line of descent its estimated height of three and a half feet may be taken as the one extreme in the series that of eliphas antiquus of fourteen feet as the other an increase of about four diameters or sixty-four times in bulk dentition the dental formula of merithereum may be expressed thus incisors upper right three left three lower right three left three canines upper one and one lower zero premolars upper three and three lower three and three molars upper three and three lower three and three equaling upper twenty lower eighteen equals thirty-eight teeth a very slight reduction from the normal forty-four in paleomastodon see page five ninety three the formula is incisors upper one and one lower one and one canines upper one and one lower zero premolars upper three and three lower three and three molars upper three and three lower three and three equals sixteen upper fourteen lower equals thirty in mastodon americanus deciduous teeth incisors upper one and one lower one and one canines upper zero and zero lower zero and zero molars upper three and three lower three and three equaling eight upper eight lower sixteen permanent teeth incisors upper one lower zero to one canines upper zero 
lower, zero. Premolars, upper, one, lower, one. Molars, upper, three and three, lower, three and three, equals upper, ten, lower, eight, equals eighteen to twenty. Elephas, deciduous and permanent. Incisors, upper, two and two, lower, zero. Molars, upper, six and six, lower, six and six, equals sixteen, upper, twelve, lower, equals twenty-eight. Thus it will be seen that there is a gradual diminution in the number of the teeth during the progress of evolution, especially is this true with reference to the number present in the jaws at any one time. In the earliest proboscidean, Merithurium, the molar teeth are small and short-crowned, with two or three simple transverse crests separated by open valleys. As time goes on, the number of cross-crests becomes greater, although in the mastodons there are never more than five or six. The mastodons have, moreover, little or no cement in the intervening valleys, although the latter may be more or less interrupted by additional cusps. In some species, the worn crests are comparatively simple. In others, there is a more or less complex trefoil pattern of the enamel produced by wear. The transitional elephants of the genus Stegodon, see page 600, have more complicated teeth, the crests increasing in number up to 10 and becoming narrower. There is also a tendency towards the filling of the valleys with cement. In Elephas, the deep-crowned complex grinding teeth, suitable for harsh herbage, are perfected, reaching great intricacy in the Siberian mammoth Elephas primogeneus, in which the number of crests may be 25 or more. In the African elephant, Loxodonta, the teeth are less complex in that not only are the crests fewer, 10 or 12, but each becomes lozenge-shaped upon wear, rather than having the form of the greatly compressed ellipse with parallel sides. Tusks. The earliest form, Merithurium, has three incisor teeth above on each side, the second pair of which are larger than the others and point sharply downward. The single lower incisors are in the form of procumbent tusks, almost horizontal in their position. Paleomastodon, the next stage, has a single pair of tusks above, with a broad enamel band and a pair of spatulate ones below, at the end of the elongating lower jaw. None of the tusks are continuously growing as in later forms. From Paleomastodon on, the tusks are born in both jaws and grow continuously throughout life. The upper pair, which are curved downward, possessing an enamel band on their outer face. These are the four tuskers, or tetrabelodonts. Subsequently, all of the proboscidea lose the lower tusks, although vestiges, one or two, may be present in the male of the American mastodon. With the loss of the lower tusks, the upper ones turn upward and finally lose their enamel, as in the form just mentioned and in the true elephants. Lower jaw. The lower jaw also undergoes a remarkable evolutionary change, elongating at the synthesis with the development of the lower tusks until a maximum is reached, after which, with the loss of these tusks, it shortens until but a spout-like vestige of the old elongation remains. In the aberrant form Dinotherium, the lower tusks are retained, but the jaw bends downward sharply at the symphysis so that the short, pointed tusks lie at right angles to the jaw. The upper tusks are apparently lacking. Tusks seem to have had their stimulating function, that of digging, first a spade-like use of the spatulate lower tusks, the upper ones having possibly a pickaxe-like function for loosening the earth, 
Later, when the upper ones assume the entire digging function, as we have seen, they turn upward instead of down. The African elephant to this day is a most industrious digger, and the right tusk, as a consequence, is almost always the shorter of the two. The use to which Dinotherium puts its lower tusks is conjectural. There is reason to believe, however, that it may have been partially aquatic, and the simplicity of its teeth points to a very succulent sort of food, possibly of aquatic or swamp vegetation. If so, the tusks may have been used for detaching it. Probiscus. The presence of a proboscis is always indicated by the shortening and backward retreat of the nasal bones, together with the strengthening of the adjoining bones for muscle attachment. There is therefore no reason to believe that Merithereum bore a proboscis of any sort, although it may have possessed a prehensile upper lip, but even this cannot be proved. In Pediomastodon, on the other hand, the nasals have receded and the rear of the skull has begun to heighten, indicating that a proboscis has been developed probably merely for the purpose of reaching beyond the lower tusks. Thus, the development of the latter seems to have been the prime cause of the growth of the trunk, which developed peripassu with the elongating lower jaw. Although the jaw was long, however, the proboscis was distinctly limited in its movement, for while it could be raised and swayed from side to side, it could not be bent downward unless to one side of the jaw. The shortening of the jaw, or, as in the dinotherium, its downward curvature, left the proboscis as the wonderful pendant organ which the living elephant possesses. End of chapter 34b. Recording by Francis Wicks, Canada.